0: Welcome back to the podcast. Today is January 10th. I called it the podcast because, yes, we still have no name for it. But don't worry, I am working on it. It's not just me not doing anything. So no need to worry about that for now. Um, I'm going to do a few topics today. We're going to talk about um, my opening is going to be about coaching expectations. And then that's going to go right into NFL, the divisional round previews. And then I'm going to have a friend of the podcast on who has not been on this podcast before, but is probably our most uh, dedicated listener and critique to talk gambling with us about not only the divisional round, but possibly a little national championship. So that would be pretty sweet to stay into if you want to make a decent amount of cash. All right. So I don't know. If you guys live under a bus, but every head coaching position as of 1041 when I'm recording right now is filled except for the Browns job, which is expected to be McDaniels, I think. But we're going to wait and maybe I'll break it right on the pod and do a quick dissection of the move. But for now, we're just going to talk about the coaching that is already put in place. For now, we really only we know that there's been a lot of criticism over two hires in general, which is kind of the reason why I did this coaching expectations format of discussing it because I feel like every time a new hire is in place people either love it or shit on it and there's really no in between. but like my main question is why is there such this big amount of pressure on head coaches to turn around terrible teams in their first year under a tenure with such lofty expectations? It's, it's ironic because if your team was as good as you think it is with this first year with a new head coach, would you be searching for a new head coach again? It's just really counterproductive. So I did some research on uh, some coaches heading into new situations. I found uh, an array of da- data from 2013 to 2017 with first year head coaches. There were 35 coach- new head coaches in that span. And they went a combined two hundred and fifty nine and three hundred and one in their first season, and ten of those thirty-five had at least ten wins in their first season, but seven had four wins or fewer. So it's kind of like what you'd expect there's some there's some big amounts on the ends of the spectrum, but a lot of it ranges to be in the middle. Um, the extremes of these records were twelve and fourteen on the high end, and a one and fifteen on the low end. And if you can't guess who the one and fifteen on the low end is, it's it's Hugh Jackson, who if Marvin Lewis hi- was hired by the Cowboys, was insisting had to be on his staff as OC. So I think Marvin kind of shot himself in the foot there, uh, putting Hugh Jackson's name into the corral, and Jerry Jones for as uh, I know he think he'd probably be able to dominate Marvin Lewis and. Uh, hugh jackson's personality but i think he was even like all right well i don't want to like have a shitty coach and then just i'm not saying marvin 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 is just really marvin lewis is just an average coach and hugh jackson is not a good head coach but i think he'd be a decent oc anyway uh, nine coaches have earned playoff berths in their first full season including three of the 2017 hires but nearly one-third of the NFL changed coaches at least twice from 2013 to 2017. So the expectations for head coaches are so gravely, like extreme, I think. If you look, I'm going to make a parallel for those who don't know. Uh, in soccer, the Premier League, they – I don't know. There's, there's this club called Arsenal, and they had their manager, Wenger, for – like 20 years and they were great in the first half and they were terrible in the last like 10 they didn't do much and their fans they kept that manager to just even allow him to just try to build a structure and at the end of the day i feel like if if football teams took the approach of premier league teams and just let their coaches develop a culture and bring in players with an amount of time that actually makes sense we could have so many more coaches keep their jobs and have so much better culture instilled into locker rooms. I know what you're thinking, though. That was 2013 to 2017 data. So, like, how did this year's first-year coaches fare? All right, well, after week one of the 2019 season, they were 1-4-1. and one. But if Adam Gase and Bruce Arians were not first-time head coaches, but if they were... That record would go to a sexy one six, and one um that's terrible, <laughs> so i then I didn't see any like articles that wrote anything about this, so I did the math myself here and it says that this year's first year head coaches went thirty eight fifty four and one uh that is even a deceiving number within itself, so to further explain that, let me break you down how each new First-year head coach. Now, when I say first-year head coach, I mean they never head coached before. So, like, as I said before, this exclu- excludes Adam Gase and Bruce Arians. So, we have Cliff Kingsbury of the Arizona Cardinals. They went 5-10-1, which they weren't having high expectations. He was really brought in there to mature Kyler Murray as a quarterback. So, that's a fair first season, I think, especially because they were the first pick of the draft last year. Um, Freddie Kitchens, uh, that, he went 6 and 10 um, that is one of the more disappointing with expectations. And I kind of understand that, but I don't blame Freddie for it because he was definitely not prepared. But at the same time, if I blame the Browns more for bringing him in and then giving him the expectation that he would be able to somehow just magically become a seasoned and veteran head coach. That was an interesting idea. It obviously didn't pan out. Vic Fangio was where everyone hired offensively and then the Broncos in classic fashion were like, "Oh, let's go defensively because our quarterbacks have been terrible for like ever since Peyton Manning's neck officially gave out." So, they went 7 and 9, which is uh, honestly pretty okay because their quarterbacks were just all over the place. They started with Flacco, Flacco got hurt and then they put in Locke and then no, they also put in um Allen. That one week that they started like three Allens in one week. 7 and 9 is pretty fair uh zach taylor of cincinnati went 2 and 14 that team was just set up for failure not to mention we don't even know if zach taylor is a good coach because he went from like the quarterbacks coach all the way to head coach of from the rams because everyone had to get on that sean mcveigh glory train thinking like oh we got to go younger we got to get a sean mcveigh-esque coach because that's really going to help because you know what happened you know what the nfl is parody yeah, you know how many people have been hired from the Belichick coaching tree and have panned out? Like three. Maybe probably two. Matt LaFleur was the only winning coach of this entire first-year head coaches. And I personally believe it was because he was handed the best team. The most veteran, ready to play, already basically. And they gave him money to spend on defense, which Mike McCarthy never had. And not to mention, people were really curious about his hire because they were like, why are we hiring this kid who is basically like under 40? And he, the Titans offense was never known as something that's groundbreaking. This is why. Uh, and then Brian Flores, uh, the Miami coach, went 5-11, and 11, which looked like they were going to go 0-16 at one point. I remember those were segments on Get Up all the time. Uh yeah, they finished 5 and 11 and honestly, it's an impressive 5 and 11 because you look at how they finished, they finished the season extremely well. So it, like I said, the thir- 38-54 and 1 is deceiving because it should be way worse, but Matt LaFleur's 13 takes 25-51 and 1 to 38-54 and 1. Thanks Matt. All right, so here's an experience breakdown of first-time hires since 2009. And since 2009, this is the amount... No, this is actually pretty crazy, though. So, in first-time hires in 2009, we had nine. We didn't have any first-time hires in 2010. So, it was basically recycling, which I think the NFL always needs to cycle in first-time hires because if everyone just hired the same head coaches, odds are, one, everyone knows their scheme. So, like, how is that going to work? And two Some coaches just need to be let go, like Jason Garrett. Um, so then there were no in twenty ten, so seven in twenty eleven, four in twenty twelve, seven in twenty thirteen, four in twenty fourteen, three in twenty fifteen, four in twenty sixteen, five in twenty seventeen, eight in twenty eighteen. No, five in twenty eighteen. And I know what you're thinking that It seems that the coaches are getting younger, but actually in 2018, it was 46.6 and in 2017, it was 41.2. So it also people are saying that it was more offensively driven, but actually in 2018, also defensive background was hired way more than offensive background. And it seems as if well, last year was mostly offensive hires. I mean, you had Flores and um, Fangio. But as a whole, I think the the NFL is tired of this little gimmick already that they're going to do the young coach who's offensively driven to help their young quarterback succeed. So the reason I brought this whole head coaching thing up is because there's new head coaches that are already under scrutiny, and that's Joe Judge and Mike McCarthy. So for those who don't know anything about Joe Judge except for the fact that people roast him that he's the wide receiver coach for the Patriots when the Patriots had a terrible wide receiver core this year yeah because you know what's really fair to blame joe judge hey joe you kind of suck to your job because you had a psychopath in antonio brown who likes to instagram live every two seconds of his life like he has some documentary that no one's watching and you have josh gordon who as great of a guy i I bet he is he's never out of rehab for more than like a three-month period and he's always on something and then belichick cut him because he said his work ethic sucked but yeah and you get muhammad sanu in a trade because that makes sense with a second round pick when the guy is super slow, had terrible hands all year. And we're going to, by the way, yeah, yeah, that's fair to judge. No pun intended. Um, Also, here's some things you should know about Joe Judge if you're a Giants fan that would probably make you much more excited about this hire than the, the way the media is covering it today. Um, he came from the Nick Saban and Belichick coaching tree. There's not many coaches out there that can say they have worked for both. And those are two of the best minds in football. I know Saban was not a great NFL head coach, but he's arguably the best college football coach of all time. Belichick is arguably the greatest NFL coach of all time. He's an old school type coach, which will be great news for the Giants offense. Because I believe that means they're going to lean on Saquon much more than Daniel Jones. And if you watched any Daniel Jones last year... He, he's, he looks like he's like pretty decent, but at the same time, I don't want him being the reason we control the ball. You have a once-in-a-generation type running back in Saquon Barkley, and you have to use him, or else you're just wasting his talents. And everyone knows the running back prime is basically from draft day for the first four years, and then their contract expires, and then no one wants to touch him. Also, he was the special teams coach. Which is extremely important because for those who don't know, the Patriots are a very well-disciplined and elite special teams team in the league. I mean, it's one of their strengths every single year. I don't know if that's important to you, but it proves that he can run something, which we know is more valuable than Freddie Kitchens because Freddie Kitchens was a guy's guy. As everyone says, and he's very personable. Joe Judge really just strikes me as like a Navy head coach, and I think that's what the Giants honestly need. Because I'm not sure Shermer was it, even though everyone raved about Shermer in the first season. Shermer's been a head coach before; it never worked. I don't know why we decided we're giving him a second chance. That's like also what I'm really curious about because the Browns are also circ- like dancing around the idea of bringing back other coaches that just tanked in other spots. Like I saw. That um, the uh, Eagle, Jim Schwartz, that Jim Schwartz is uh, supposed to interview for this Browns coach. Did did no one think when he was the Lions coach that they were pretty mediocre except for that like one nine and seven year? Yeah, I know he's a hard ass, but like at the same time, not worth it. Here's the huge mistake with Joe Judge, though, that I don't think anyone's talking about. I read that Gettleman and him will decide this Giants staff. Huge mistake Gettleman is not well respected in this league that is why I believe no one was in particular salivating for this Giants job even though they have incredible young talent on both ends of the ball and they have the potential with a high first round pick to continue adding great players to this roster the Giants should have got rid of Gettleman right after he said we didn't sign Odell to trade him and then traded him that just doesn't make sense all right enough about David Gettleman because I'm sure this is more than people talk about him in his lifetime Uh, Mike McCarthy is the other hire now people were saying this Mike McCarthy hire was safe and that it was the easy way to go even though they had tons of highly qualified candidates interviewing for this job but so Mike McCarthy if you don't know he's the former head coach of the Packers and he coached Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers for 13 seasons and he posted a 125-77-2 and two record. Yeah, I know. That's pretty average. No, it's not. It's pretty good. He won a Super Bowl, which is definitely a positive. But the question people ask is, how did McCarthy only go win a championship in one year out of 13 tied to two of the greatest quarterbacks that have ever played this game? Um, Defense, how many teams win a Super Bowl with a really good offense and an, a pretty terrible defense what comes to mind for me immediately of why this doesn't work is the patriots giants second super bowl where the patriots were the number one offense in the af in the nfl and then they also posted the second worst defense in the nfl which ironically number 32 was the green bay packers uh i just think nfl in the postseason is all defense defense extremely is extremely crucial to a team winning or losing every game because you know what happens when people go to the the playoffs? They try a lot harder. The environment gets worse. It's much more on the line. Everyone is bringing everything they have. The offensive coordinators are bringing their trick plays. The defense is bringing their hard-nosed blitzes. There's zero blitzes a lot. A lot of teams are playing outside their comfort zone because half these teams play in mostly warm weather except for ironically the Packers and then they play in environments that they're just not accustomed to. So here's the issue though. The Packers honestly are a little worse offensively than they were with this season than they were with McCarthy now that they're with Lafleur. But the difference between this team with Lafleur and last year's team with McCarthy is that they actually decided that they're going to spend their money on defense, which I don't think was McCarthy. I think McCarthy definitely wanted to spend money on defense. I don't think he liked having a terrible defense. But Lafleur got the chance to just spend all of his money on players, which we're going to talk about later when we preview the Seahawks-Packers game. But Mike goes, here's another issue, I think, with this Mike McCarthy hire that i like i don't think i have issues with it i think it's a pretty decent hire but mike goes from a team with the green bay packers that have no owner to arguably the most control freak-esque owner in the entire league for those who don't know the packers are a team that's owned by the fans technically 51 percent. it's like a stock type thing where you can buy into owning the team it's pretty cool i've always thought about kind of doing it but you know i'm a college kid so i have like zero money um Another thing I think about Jerry Jones is the only reason Jerry Jones really liked Jason Garrett, I have to believe, is that he liked him due to his lack of spine. But I think McCarthy won't necessarily have that. But at the same time, I just feel that this Mike McCarthy hire, he has a very good team. And they just needed a coach that could utilize that potential. And I already love the hire in the way that he kept Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. And he just hired uh, Kessel. or. Fossil. Fossil. Not Phil Kessel. Fossil from um, the Rams special teams. The Rams special teams coach Fossil has been highly admired in this league for many years. And I really think this Dallas Cowboys team can really grow after I see how they spend their uh, free agency money. On, But I think they can take a jump. I think they definitely can take advantage of this NFC least because I don't think the Giants are going to get that much better unless they just somehow reconstruct their entire roster within one offseason the Redskins are going to grow in a really slow fashion because their team is definitely the worst of that group the Eagles are going to get healthier so that's a team to watch and the Dallas Cowboys already have the most talented team in that division and now they can just get a good head coach I would argue that honestly Mike McCarthy right now looks as if he's going to be the best head coach in that division but we'll see only time can really tell All right, so now we're going to talk about the playoff matchups uh, I I know I, I know I announced it last time, but I went a very impressive one in three. But after like seeing a lot of people also pick mine, I felt a little bit better. I, I slept a little better at night that I am not the all-seeing eye. Um so we're gonna start off with the Vikings at the 49ers. Now this is where I already feel like I'm about to shoot myself in the foot. Uh, so the matchup that the people will be talking about in this game for sure is between Kyle Shanahan's offense, which is known as inventive, innovative, uh, very, very, very extremely good. Yeah, that was a really sexy way of saying their offense is good. And uh, the Vikings head coach, Mike Zimmer's defense. That is what people are going to talk about. However, that should not be the focal point of this game because the Vikings offense and the 49ers defense is definitely going to be the reason – who decides who moves on to the NFC Championship game? I believe the Vikings just need to do the same recipe that they did to pull off a win against the Saints, which would be that Dalvin Cook and the run game need to be force-fed the entire game, have Kirk play a fairly conservative game, and make him have him make the big plays if necessary like he did in that overtime drive, and let the defense just simply contain Jimmy Garoppolo. Now I know what you're thinking. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is not as good as Drew Brees, but if you are delusional enough to think that, you definitely are on something that Sam Fran is delivering. Uh, I believe that that Saints offense was top five, and the 49ers have a decent offense. I mean, they have Garoppolo, who I I rate as like top 16 quarterback. Um, I like Raheem Mozart. Tevin Coleman fell off a cliff after like week 12. Matt Breida. Is a pretty solid run back, but also, I don't they're, They have Kittle. Kittle is their best offensive player, but I'll talk about Kittle in a minute. But their offense, honestly, is not as remotely as explosive as the Saints was, and the Vikings seem to have a pretty good handle on that, except from two Hays, Taysom Hill type plays. But honestly, I don't see Taysom Hill really showing up in a uh, Vikings uniform anytime soon, so I think they're fine. The big ca- challenge here for the 49ers is to get George Kittle going honestly he is by far their most talented offensive player he looks like Gronk more than any other tight end really has I know maybe Jimmy Graham is up for the argument I, I don't think Travis Kelsey's the same as Gronk there's just like different types of dominance and Gronk was just one of a kind but Kittle looks like he is the closest thing I've seen the Vikings defense has allowed a passer rating of just 60.3 in the regular season to target tight ends that's the lowest figure in the league by 28 points. And second, oddly enough, is uh, the San Francisco 49ers defense with 88.4. But the funny thing about that also is that I don't expect Kyle Rudolph to be going off again. But you know what? I also said I didn't expect Kyle Rudolph to get the touchdown in the corner. But <laughs> we'll see. Another headline for this game that no no one's really picked up on is um, how the 49ers defense has kind of lost its traction off of the sensational start it had where it looked like it was just... Going to tear everyone to shreds for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, the 49ers defense is actually, though, about to be whole again at the right time in the season because a majority of the second half of the season, they didn't have Kawan Alexander, D Ford, and Jagetsky Tart. And they're all slated to return for the Niners playoff opener this Saturday against the Vikings after injuries, as I previously said, just ravaged their defense. So. The, uh, the Niners, with all their starters, basically allowed only .86 points per drive during that span. That ranked second best in the league. However, in the final nine weeks when those injuries just tore them apart, that number grew to 2.08 over the final nine weeks, which ranked 30th. The competition did get tougher in the second half, so that's an argument that can be made. But when you anytime you lose your starting players on the defensive end, it's gonna show. Especially when the defense is arguably not arguably, it is the strength of your entire defense. But we'll see. An example here that I have is that when D Ford was on the field, who they traded for from the Chiefs in the offseason, he... Pressured the quarterback on 32% of plays, according to Sports Radar, and this rate would have led the NFL. But that dropped point 24.8 without Ford, and the San Francisco defense has only has four sacks in the last five games with D. Ford on the sidelines. That just doesn't sound like a good recipe for success here. Now I know it seems like I'm only talking about San Francisco, but you're going to be shocked because I believe that the Vikings beat the most complete team in the nfc last week so playing a young 49ers team should help as i believe the vikings go back to what they know how to do and they're gonna pull out the upset of the week and if they do as kirk cousins would say i'd like that uh i think the vikings are gonna win this game actually shock san fran move on 27 to 23 all right titans at baltimore um, after ending the Patriots dynasty, maybe the Titans will now set their sights on ending the season of soon-to-be MVP Lamar Jackson and the number one seed Baltimore Ravens. So here's some things about Tennessee in case you are ready to hop on the bandwagon of the dynasty enders. Uh, Tennessee has won eight of its last eleven. They've also scored a midseason win against the Kansas City Chiefs, 35 to 32. And of the nine wins that they had in the regular season five came on the road and also this latest one in new england so this team is capable of beating very good teams this isn't a soft schedule nine and seven type team that just squeaks in however they are facing a juggernaut as the ravens are riding an nfl best 12 game winning streak the Ravens have the number five ranked rush defense the Pats of the range number six they are also only allowing 93.4 yards per game Brandon Williams and Michael Pierce clog up the middle however Baltimore has been gashed on the edges and Derrick Henry did much of his damage against the Patriots on outside runs oddly enough I think Tannehill is probably going to be the x-factor here Even though he was a non-factor against the New England Patriots, the Ravens have perhaps the best secondary in the league and they surrender around 207.2 yards per game, which would rank as sixth fewest. But Baltimore's defense has been defined by pressure as they have blitzed more than any other team in the league at 54.9%. Here's the issue though, and this is why Tannehill is kind of the X factor. You wouldn't know it, but T- Ryan Tannehill thrives against the Blitz this year with a 120.3 passer rating. That is. Actually jaw-dropping because if you think of what Ryan Tannehill has done in his career ever the entire time All he's been doing is getting blitzed. So it kind of makes sense that he thrives under the pressure It's probably is normal where he just realizes he has a very short window to throw it Also AJ Brown has just gone off this year. So Tannehill really helped explode his career except against the Pats He was like one for four on targets but then again, that's the Patriots, and they try to find a way to neutralize your best player. But Tannehill, as I said, was not that great against the Pats because he didn't have to be. He only threw for 72 yards, almost gave away the game twice, but I digress. I'm done talking about the Pats. Um, the Titans played against more mobile QBs this year, and they played against Mahomes, Watson, and Allen. And they, when they do, the blitzing is pretty limited. They don't blitz a lot, but they show blitz a lot kind of like faking them out a little bit. Show up think you're showing them your cards, then pull them back at the last second. However, they are not facing just anyone. They are facing future MVP, as I stated, Lamar Jackson, who finished third in the NFL and passer rating at 113.3. Not bad for a running back. And they led the league with thirty-six touchdown passes against just six interceptions. It's pretty cool seeing as every single player, Charles Haley, uh, would pick them apart ever passing skills at the start of the season he should just be a running back right no um the ravens offensive line did a superb job protecting lamar jackson with tackles ronnie staley orlando brown and marshall yonda they all rank among the best pass blockers in the league and i already said last week that the titans are not a good pass rush team how many sacks did you see them have on brady last week and this offensive line is definitely better than last week's the Ravens are going to want some huge plays early because they want to just get this game out of their heads as quickly as possible. They're at home, which is a very, very underappreciated home crowd, I believe. I think that playing in Baltimore is not a great situation, It especially at night. I feel like a night game is definitely just adds to the atmosphere that Baltimore fans definitely want to have. But I think we're going to see a lot of play action shots right away. And if they don't go to Hearst and Andrews in heavy dosage with those play actions, I'd be extremely surprised. I think, honestly, I don't see a way in which the Titans can keep the Ravens kind of close to their 33 point average per game. I, I honestly I'm glad the Titans won like I'm not super glad but I'm, I'm happy for the story of the Titans I think they are a good team they are definitely a top four team in the AFC they deserve to be here but they are facing the juggernaut and unlike the Vikings 49ers I think this Ravens team is a little more complete honestly than what I expect they are the leading they broke the rushing record that hasn't been broken since like 1970 for a team so even when teams do a lot of things right against this Ravens team, it's really, really hard for them to do it for a whole game against a team this dominant. I don't think Tennessee's defense is built for this. I'm, I'm interested to see how Derrick Henry does. I think Derrick Henry will be the bright spot, obviously, of this game because they're just going to force him the ball like they did last week. But I really don't think they're meant for this. So for that reason, I'm going to pick the Ravens 31-17 to against the Titans. All right. So now it's uh, Texans at Chiefs. Uh, two of the young elite quarterbacks now will be facing off in the divisional round as Deshaun the Houdini Watson will now face off against the current MVP soon to be dethroned Patrick Mahomes no Mahomes um, rematch of week 16 of week six actually where Watson emerged 31 to 24 now this game should have like an asterisk kind of because one it was an early game Two, a lot of players were hurt in those games so you can't really judge it and it was just a sloppy game in general. Watson went 30 for 42 for 280 yards, one passing touchdown, two interceptions. But he also had 10 carries for 42 yards and two touchdowns, which in Deshaun Watson fashion, of course. Uh, Mahomes went... (laughs) an average 39 for 35 two thirty three touchdowns in one i mean it's average for him so like if he tried a little harder they probably could have pulled it out maybe he wasn't doing so many state farm commercials with that annoying ass agent that's always in them i don't know why they think people like those commercials you know what commercials i did like though the ones where they brought back the geico's commercials like of pinocchio and a support group those are great but no, I'm done with of it's not discount double check. I'm kind of out on those state farm commercials. And how many times do we have to see Oscar from the office and Chris Paul talking about Houston basketball when he's no longer in Houston? It doesn't make sense. So anyway, <laughs> a big reason why Houston beat the Chiefs in week 6 was because of Carlos Hyde. He rumbled for 116 yards and scored two touchdowns against his former team. The Texans also ran the ball well. Last week against Buffalo. While Kansas City's D offense has really struggled to find any semblance of running game. I know Damian Williams has gotten kind of hot in like the last game that they played. But they really signed LaShawn McCoy for this time. So they really need to make LaShawn McCoy a huge factor in this game. Damian Williams is fine. He should be their pass catching back. But if he's anything more, I am kind of concerned for this team. Um, so... Ever since that loss, though, the Chiefs have really put got their shit together extremely quickly. They went on a ten and two run, and they only had a weird game against the Titans and a very close Green Bay Packers game, which Matt Moore played in. So, are we really going to count Matt Moore? I mean, <laughs> I know his uh, draft profile said he was his comparison was Patrick Mahomes, but let's calm down a little bit. But so this Texans offense will have Will Fuller back, hopefully. And he, as I said, have said before, he opens up the field for DeAndre Hopkins, which is kind of weird. It kind of makes it seem like Will Fuller is the alpha, but it's more that if the defense has to pay attention to Will Fuller and not just DeAndre Hopkins, it's going to make things way better because believe it or not, Kenny Stills doesn't make any corner kind of shit in his pants. But at the same time, Fuller gives the Texans a big downfield threat and Hopkins like he'll he'll have like 30 yard catches but you don't see Hopkins really just slicing the defense down the middle off of a straight line regard and he does this. will floor does this regardless of the down and distance another big factor for this game is that uh, Clark that they got from Seattle has emerged as an all-pro cornerstone for this uh, Chiefs defense and Tyron Matthew has definitely been one of the best defensive backs in the last eight to ten games In that time, also, they added Terrell Suggs, who, if you don't know Terrell Suggs, you haven't been watching football for the past 10 years, and Mike Pennell have also been added to the mix. Here's the big issue for the Texans in this game, though, because if they played the Chiefs last year, they might have a better chance, but this Houston team has allowed 16 sacks in their last three games, including seven last week against Buffalo, while the Chiefs have recorded 34 sacks in their last 10 games. That sounds like a really good matchup for the Texans. Hey, your offensive line has been dog shit all year, but by the way, we're just going to keep throwing elite pass rushers in your face. So have fun, Deshaun Watson, once again having to scramble out of the pocket like 60 times and running it to the edge for a three-yard gain before going out of bounds. That should be really awesome for you. By the way, Patrick, I did some things on Patrick Mahomes to see how well he did in the postseason statistically last year because he is a two-game veteran. <laughs> uh, Patrick Mahomes, by the way, if you go on Pro Football Focus, they show you the nicknames the player has been called in the past. And his were Showtime, The Musician, The Gunslinger, which makes sense. Or this one's just weird. Fat Trick. Was Patrick Mahomes like a chubby little kid? Like, who the hell has ever called Patrick Mahomes Fatrick? Also, are you still calling him Fatrick? Because I don't think I really want to mess with Patrick Mahomes. That Kermit voice just rubs me the wrong way. But anyway, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs quarterback last year in the playoffs went 1-1. They destroyed the Colts last year. I remember that game. That was kind of surprising. But so in two games, he went 43 for 72. On a 60% completion rating, that's not too hot. 573 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. He had, a, honestly, an okay season, but not for him. Three touchdowns in two games as an MVP is not the recipe you want. I, they He wasn't the reason they necessarily lost to the Pats. They lost to the Pats because of that, that uh, sweet offsides call. Thank you. But I... I see a similar result here for Mahomes against a AFC South team in the divisional round. However, the only difference is I do not see Mahomes and Reed sending Deshaun Watson in retirement after this game. However, from this beating of this terrible offensive line that I suspect will happen, it's never out of the question here. I see Mahomes and the Chiefs delivering on a revenge game. With the Chiefs being a very solid team all year, despite injuries and hiccups, I have a recipe in place that emerges not only as the winner of this game, but in the AFC Championship game as well. And for that reason, I have the Chiefs winning this game 31-21. to And here is the last game we have. Uh, the Seahawks at Green Bay. So there's basically two narratives to this game. One, Seattle is a completely banged-up team with no running backs, except for Marshawn Lynch. And we have Aaron Rodgers, who is getting more criticism than I think he has ever had in his career with one of the best records he's ever had in his career. The Seahawks should probably feel confident going into this game on the road again, where they are now 8-1. and one. However, the Packers, as I previously stated, are one of the most sketchy 13-3 and teams I can remember in recent memory. Let's talk about Rodgers for a minute. Roger's passing record, 95.4, was his third lowest since becoming a starter in 2008, while his completion percentage, 62%, and his yards per attempt, 7, were the lo- second lowest in that time, posting a 26-4 and interception ratio. Here's the weird thing. When Nick Foles threw like 20, when he had this basically identical stat line, we were saying Nick Foles was the second coming of Christ, and now... We have Aaron Rodgers having this, and we're saying Aaron Rodgers is on the downhill slope. I am not only saying – I'm not saying this, but here's what some scouts quotes were from this year. Quote, he was pretty damn ordinary for most of this season, and quote, he's playing like a guy that doesn't want to get hit anymore. He's throwing off his back foot. He won't step into throws. His mechanics aren't good. I mean, maybe it's because it's the playoffs he'll start doing those things again, but he doesn't look like the Aaron Rodgers of old. That's for sure yikes um he also hasn't made the playoffs since 2016 which is kind of weird to think about when i read that i had to recheck that for sure but ever since winning the super bowl he is four and six in the playoffs but i believe that's more to do with terrible defenses that have followed him into the playoffs however this year is where things differ on defense. They are led by Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith who each have at least 12 sacks. Here are some defensive comparisons between the Packers and Seahawks who were always Seahawks always being associated as a defensive team, but as I have previously stated, they are no longer the Seattle of old. They are definitely offensively driven. Against the against for total yards, the Packers are 18th, Seattle's 26th. For rushing yards, which is kind of key for this game, the Packers are 24th, Seattle is 28th. For passing yards, Packers are 14th, Seahawks are 27th. Points allowed, Packers 9th, Seahawks 27th, DVOA, which is defensive efficiency, Packers 5th, Seahawks 8th. Now, the reason that the rushing yards are important is because the Packers have a two-headed monster with Aaron Jones and Aaron Jones. Jamal Williams almost just hybridized them into one. And honestly, I that that wouldn't surprise me. Um, they have been wreaking havoc on the entire league since this season started. Aaron Jones has led the league in touchdowns with an absurd number. And Jamal Williams is a very serviceable passback that definitely should warrant some attention from the Seahawks defense. Another big thing for this game for the Packers side of defense is they have to deal with what their defensive coordinator, Mike Pettin called the explosives referring to DK Metcalf and Tyler hot pocket Lockett. They complicate everything because they both do the same route. They both just run straight. And if Wilson has time in the pocket, if you haven't realized he is one of the best deep ball throwers in the entire league, Metcalf is going to probably find himself lined up against Kevin King, who is the Packers' best corner right now. He leads the Packers with five interceptions and is a long, fast guy. And he models after the entire secondary of this Packers defense. However, over Seattle's last five games, they have been particularly bad because they allow over 161 yards per game on average on the ground. Not in the air, on the ground. And they are facing probably the best two, two-headed 2 running back core left in this playoffs. If you don't count Lamar and Mark Ingram. Then we have the passing game where the running backs are also averaging 9.5 yards per catch, which is third most during the regular season, as well as 51.1 total receiving yards per game, which is fourth most in the NFL This game has Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams written all over it. They could torch this team. It's basically Russell Wilson versus the entire Packers team at this point. So going off that Russell Wilson statement, uh, Russell Wilson has, I looked it up, has done god-awful in Lambeau, like in ways that you would not expect Russell Wilson to do that poorly. They played him in 2015. Russell Wilson, 203 yards, 63% completion percentage, two touchdowns, one interception, two sacks. Oh, okay. Well, that's just probably an outlier game. Wrong. 2016, Packers 38, Seahawks 10. Russell Wilson, 240 yards, 56% completion rating, one touchdown, five interceptions, three sacks. Oh, well, I mean... He's definitely a seasoned veteran. He definitely knows how to improve. Okay, 2017, Packers 17, Seahawks 9. Russell Wilson, 158 yards. 52% completion percentage. Zero touchdowns, zero interceptions, three sacks. Oh, yeah, okay. Russell Wilson definitely improved because he went from five interceptions to none, but he also went from one touchdown to zero. Not that one was great, but zero's not any better, and I don't blame him for the sacks because the Seahawks have historically had terrible offensive linemen ever since Russell Wilson has been there. Here's the here's the just fact of the matter. I was going to pick the Seahawks. I thought they had a chance, but the more research I did on this game, the less le- more the less it made sense that they could possibly win this game. Not to mention, it has eight to ten inches of snow, which are predicted for this game. It's going to be sub zero temperatures, and the last sub zero game that the Vikings played, they only won because Blair Walsh missed a kick. And they knocked out Teddy Two Gloves. On paper, the Packers are the way more talented team in this game. They have more talent on both sides of the ball. The only position that they are worse are better than, arguably, is quarterback. And their quarterback has sucked in Lambo. They can win this game, the Packers. They have home field advantage. They should. Will they actually do it? I guess that's to be seen because this Packers team, as I said before, is sketchy. I am just putting my faith in the home field with the easy matchups that they have with Aaron Rodgers, who is not in decline. He is just doing what he has to do to win. It's not his fault that the team is way more complete and it's not heavily dependent on him to throw 350 plus with three plus touchdowns every year. I think the Packers are going to win this game 24 to 13, and that will do it for the divisional round preview and after this quick break, I am going to call our guest and we will talk some gambling. All right. So now on the line, we got Ronnie Props, as he wants to be called. Welcome to the podcast, Ron.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: All right. What do you got for us for some good bets today?
1: All right. So are you interested in making some money?
0: Uh, yeah. I'm a struggling college student. Of
1: course I am. Okay. This will help with those loans. First game on Saturday, Minnesota at San Francisco. San Francisco's minus seven. Love this game. Minnesota covers. No doubt about it. Oh, last yeah. week, their, their defensive line is incredible. Very good. Linville Joseph, Everson Griffin just are going to blow people away. San Francisco's also got a decent front line, but they're going to be missing D4, it looks like, for tomorrow. Oh, they are? <laughs> yeah, it looks like it. Oh my and God. they've given up 20-plus points eight of the last nine weeks. Oh, no. I am all about Minnesota. In fact, I think not only does Minnesota cover, maybe you want to sprinkle just a little bit on the money line Minnesota to have a complete upset over San Francisco. But I like the cover. I think it's a safe bet.
0: I could not agree more.
1: Jimmy G, unproven, first playoff star. Who knows what the hell he's going to do?
0: I know you're a devoted listener, but I did say earlier in this podcast that I did think Minnesota is going to pull off the upset. I, I have faith. I think they already beat the number one team in the NFC. I thought the Saints were the best overall team, and they went down. Mm-hmm. And I don't like oh. that D Ford's out because the only way you're going to beat Kirk Cousins also is to make him look like shit when he's super pressured up the middle. Great, <laughs> thanks, D Ford. Couldn't
1: agree more. His also over under is 44. I'm not feeling confident either way on that. It, apparently, there is going to be some wind at this game, and it is definitely going to be a defensive game. Oh but yeah, 44 is just—it's a low number. And last week, you know, New Orleans, San Francisco, everybody thought it was going to be a, you know a slugfest. Went for 46 points total. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, if you have to lean one way, I would probably say lean the under. But my official picks – well, my one official pick, Minnesota, covers minus seven. And then I'm going to sprinkle a little bit of money line see if I can get lucky. Yeah,
0: I agree, though, because those, those are two run-heavy teams, honestly. Like, people think that they're just – Jimmy G is the face of the offense. It's really just the three-headed monster. They have at running back if, like, at least two of them show up. Because, you know, uh, Mozart's always going to show up. He's a touchdown Absolutely. machine. What else you got? I'm I'm,
1: I like it. Next game, Saturday, second game of the week, Tennessee at Baltimore. Baltimore is a 10-point favorite. The over-unders, 47. It's going to be unseasonably warm in Baltimore, 65 degrees and cloudy. It's going to be a beautiful day. Thank God. So now, Tennessee, huge upset with, with the Patriots, right high, coming into Baltimore. The Ravens allow 93 rushing yards a game. They also score 33 points a game. Ravens have two All-Pro cornerbacks and Humphrey and Peters. They're going to load the box. I do not see Henry going crazy here today, and they're going to force Tannehill to beat them, and he can't. It's just not going (laughs) to happen.
0: You and the entire nation outside of Tennessee, I think, believes that.
1: (laughs) So Tannehill's wife, exactly. Baltimore lay the points. They're going to crush them. I can easily see this being a 35 to 10 game. The over/under is 47. It's tough. I'm not going to touch the over-under because even if the Ravens put up 35 and the Titans put up 10, it's not enough to cover. I don't love it. So give me the Baltimore to cover, and then I got an interesting prop bet for you. Oh, I'm excited. The prop bet. Running back. Titans. Derrick Henry. 94 yards. Over-under. I am taking the under.
0: Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) Taking 194 yards, Baltimore is going to load the box eight deep all game, forcing him to be to beat him, and he's not going to be able to do it. They're not going to be able to run the ball like they used to against the Patriots. Do not have him hit 94 yards. Take the under on the prop bet.
0: Yeah, and if that happens too, you might as well just take the under for the over-under because if they can't run, they're not going to score. <laughs> not against but this loaded
1: Ravens secondary. I I agree, but what happens if Lamar Jackson goes out for 45 points? That, you guys are a freak. Yeah. Who knows what he's going to do? They, all they do is score points. I mean, 33.2 points a game. It's it's going to be tough.
0: Yeah. And this is, you can't even compare Lamar to the Lamar of last year in the playoffs when they stunk because he's a completely different quarterback.
1: Completely different. Just just the confidence, setting all the records this year, just looks like a, a grizzled bet out there. Love that team. Love them going into it. They're, they're definitely going to cover no doubt
0: about it. It's definitely set up for an awesome AFC championship. All right. What do you got for the Sunday games?
1: Okay. Sunday. First game, Houston at Kansas city. Houston is currently a 10 point favorite. They only opened as a 7.5 point favorite over under 51. You know, it's going to come down to can Houston run the football? You know, can, can Harlow's Hyde do anything? Can their running backs <laughs> do anything?
0: They're very you know, it's, average.
1: It's, yeah. Very average. It doesn't look great. Andy Reid is five and zero. Oh. When he has a first round bye. Kansas city looks good. Their defense has completely turned around in the past couple weeks. Texans average 24 points a game. Very eh, 126 yards rushing. Don't see it happening. Um, You know, Kansas city averages almost 30 points a game and almost 380 yards of offense. Yeah. (laughs) You know uh, the over under is only 51 here. It's going to be a decent day. I definitely take the over. And then I'm leaning for Kansas City to cover the 10.
0: I think, yeah, I, I 100% buy into it. I mean, the it definitely the over under game is definitely the one to look at because both these offenses, it could be a shootout or it could just be, in my opinion, a Kansas City wrecking just 10 Texans in every single facet.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think the over is set low. I think it's going to be well into the 60s. Um, you know, I think the first half Kansas City is going to come out and blow them out of the water. I can easily see them putting up 28 points in the first half. And, and then the so that's for- the official. Yeah. And then and then the lean there, you know, uh, also Kansas City to to cover by 10. So, yeah. you know, I'd, I like that pick a lot, too. And then we have the last game of the week Sunday night or Sunday afternoon, Seattle at Green Bay. Green Bay is currently between a three and a four point favorite mm-hmm. over, over under 47. I would like to point out that the Packers are incredibly average for being a 13 and three team. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers, decent season, 4,000 yards, 26 TDs, four interceptions. In his, le- in his last four games against Washington, threw for 195 and a touch. Chicago, who sucks, 203 and a touch. <laughs> Minnesota, good team, 216, no touches and interception. And then Detroit, who sucks, yeah. threw for 320, two TDs and one interception. He's got four touchdowns in his last four games. Going up against Seattle. Don't love it, Aaron Jones as much as good as he's been this year. They only average 112, 112 rushing yards a game. There's supposed to be eight to ten inches of snow on Saturday. Yeah. It's going to be a cold day, and then the Packers, the easiest schedule in the NFC.
0: That that show is based off of record.
1: <laughs> Hawk, uh, Seahawks are eight and one in their last nine road games. Yep. So I am parlaying Seattle to cover the three. And give me the under.
0: Would you say, in your opinion, that Seattle is going to win, or are you just saying they're just going to keep it under?
1: Because I struggled I da- with
0: this game a lot when I was doing the research for it, but I ha- I ended up settling with Green Bay because I looked at—I don't know if you knew—Russell West, uh, Russell Wilson's last three games in Green Bay are straight up horrifying. <laughs> he uh, is, he went two 0 three for two touchdowns, one interception. When they lost by set 10. In 2016, mm-hmm. he went 240 yards for one touchdown and five interceptions. And then in 2017, he had 158 for zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. And his career completion average there right now is like 54.
1: But you know what they didn't have those years? <laughs> DK Metcalf. DK <laughs>
0: <laughs> the human pacifier. <laughs> yep.
1: And if, honestly, I mean, I'm going to parlay that. I'm going to parlay... The Seahawks to cover and the under. I love the under in this game as well. Over under forty-seven. Give me the under.
0: All right. So now we got after that we got Monday. So another great
1: day of football. (laughs) So what are you Monday night? Best game of the year. Cannot wait. Clemson LSU one seed versus three seed. Seventy-five percent of all the bets being put on this game are for LSU. That would be a total record. 63% is the previous high when Alabama beat the shit out of Notre Dame in 2012. (laughs) Great times. Manti Teo, never forget. Now, I think it's important here. LSU crushed Oklahoma. Absolutely bitch slapped them. But Oklahoma is a fraud. The Big 12 is a fraud. They suck. That game should have been that ugly. I do not see... LSU coming anywhere near that type of performance against a Clemson defense, which was number one in the ACC. Recency bias, everyone's LSU riding high. They're going to cover. No, Clemson covers. It's a six. The spread is six right now. They're going to cover the six. I sprinkle some on the money line with them as well at minus two twenty-five. I, I'm sorry, at plus one eighty-eight. I love it. I love it. You got to sprinkle that. And then you got to think about this. The last six straight national championships, dogs have covered. Wow. Six in a row. And then if I got to choose between Coach O, Flash in the pan, love the guy, but one year, he was an old Miss, eh, USC, and eh, a couple backup jobs. The Dabo Sweeney, possibly the best college football coach right now. I, I, I got to take Clemson. Clemson to cover, sprinkle that money line a little bit, make some money.
0: I'm glad we're, I feel like I'm like the only, one of the only people who thinks this like people are already counting out Clemson as even a chance to win this game. Or, oh, this LSU team is like once in a decade. Uh, yeah, but Clemson is also a dynasty in the making. I think people forget that they beat Alabama at the height of their powers. But yeah. Dynasty.
1: Trevor Lawrence 25 0 as a
0: starter. 25 0. I don't know how people are arguing. People like in midway through the season this year we're like, "Oh, Trevor Lawrence, maybe he was a flash in the pan. We don't know what we really saw with him." But yet look where he is right now. They beat an Ohio state team. That was definitely one of the most balanced teams in the entire country.
1: Ohio state was the most impressive team for 80% of the season this year. They ran through everybody in the big 10. They slapped everybody around. They put up 70 points, 60 points, 50 points every single week. They were fun to watch. Clemson came in there, took care of business. They're going to play LSU. I know it's in new Orleans. It's going to be tough. I, they are going to cover that six points. And I like him to win it all. All right. So
0: I'm going to ask you a hypothetical here. As a Giants fan, let's say you do not have Danny Dimes. Okay. You have the number one pick. I am going to give you the choice between drafting Joe Burrow right now or
1: Trevor Lawrence. Who do you pick? Without a tenth of a second hesitation, you have to take Trevor Lawrence.
0: He is a golden child. But now Joe Burrow. I'm very scared for the Bengals because it's very obvious that they are going to take him not only based off of where he's located, but because of the hype around him. And no one in Cincinnati is that hyped for football right now.
1: And he was Mr. Ohio football in 2012 or 2013. I mean, he's a, he's a Ohio guy. Listen, he was a three-star recruit coming out of college, went to Ohio State, was behind JT Barrett, and then Dwayne Haskins, transferred out, given a shot at LSU as a junior LSU. Checked down, checked down, checked down. He sucked. Thought it was over. LSU brought in that great, freshman uh miles brennan i think his name is kid mm-hmm. is an absolute freak show uh they bring in that new passing coordinator works with joe burrow all of a sudden joe burrow lighting the world on fire might I might say he's not gonna have success in the nfl but trevor lawrence is as a guaranteed hit is you're gonna see since the andrew lux of the world
0: do you think um that joe burrow let's just i'm trying to just gauge your level
1: of uh expectation
0: for joe burrow would you rather have him or tua if tua didn't have the hip injury
1: I would rather have Tua.
0: Yeah, that's how I feel. I don't know if I'm fully sold on this Joe Burrow thing. I mean, people are comparing him to Tom Brady on every broadcast. So like, Oh, he's the next Brady. Um, he's way more mobile than Brady, but Brady – you can't compare any college quarterback to Brady, I feel like, because Brady was not a good college quarterback. So what film are you looking
1: at necessarily? <laughs> yeah, he was barely a starter in college, right? Wasn't he fighting every day for his job out there with uh... – what, Frank Lloyd was the coach? Or yeah, then the, the kid from name was? the
0: quarterback that was also playing for the Yankees, Drew, um, Drew Henson. Yeah, Drew Henson. I don't know. I feel like this is going to be a great game, though. I mean, the offense around Burrow is definitely more talented, I think, <laughs> than the offense around Lawrence, which is another key thing to keep in mind when comparing these two quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, they both have great wide receiver core. They both have great running back core. Uh, that kid ATN from Clemson is an absolute freak show this year. Uh, I know LSU has the three headed monster uh, with uh, Jefferson um, for the wide receiver core, but Clemson at the same time in the last six weeks of the season, after they're almost lost to UNC beat the crap out of everybody by 35 points. And I understand that they're in the ACC. Their schedule isn't the same as an LSU, but they have shown time and time again that they are coming to these playoffs and they win these playoffs I can see him being very competitive with LSU. I like it. They're going to cover. They may win. Let's go, Clemson.
0: I couldn't agree anymore. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, I can, if you want, you are always welcome next week to come back on.
1: Yeah, no, uh, next week we got the championship series, so I will be available.
0: All right. Thanks for hopping on.
1: Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. All right, and that was. Uh ronnie props as he wants to be called uh yeah so in general this was a pretty good podcast i think we're gonna sprinkle in gambling i think for the rest of this uh super bowl run and hopefully we make you money but if you don't keep in mind if you sue me i do not have money so you will be getting my first child all right and that will do it for us today thanks for listening like subscribe and share with your friends and you can find us on the extended thanks for listening